G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. G'day and welcome to today's 2020 podcast for Monday the 17th of December. I'm Matt Gies and it's great to be able to share this story with you. Just a reminder though, before we get too much further, that you can catch up on the full program of 2020 every weekday on the Vision Radio Network in the West from 8am in Queensland from 10 and the Eastern Daylight Saving States from 11. Well, on today's program, we chatted to Carolyn Boyd. She's the founder of Southern Cross Kids Camp. It's a unique camping experience founded in Victoria on Christian principles that takes at-risk young people into a week-long escape from their daily life. Some of these kids are broken. Some of these kids are foster kids. Some of these are adults before their time. That's what's meant. By at risk. We'll find out more about this with Carolyn Boyd discussing the who, how and why they do what they do. Well, we're, we're a camp that's just a little bit different. There are many very good camps out there. Um, but we, we've come alongside, especially come alongside children who've been um, traumatised through domestic violence, abuse, uh, neglect, abandonment, all those issues. And so uh, we, we believe that the model of this camp is actually extremely effective at um, breaking the cycle in many children's lives and certainly is effective in how they view themselves and gives them some hope for the future. Okay. So how do you do it? How do you go about impacting people just from a camp? Uh, Well, yeah, that's a very good question. That's something a lot of our workers also ask, is a week enough? It's been very interesting that there's been some good research coming out of um, the Houston Trauma Centre, actually, uh, saying that meaningful um, interaction with positive role models, particularly in a one-on-one situation, uh, can break this cycle of how children see themselves and this cycle of them um, perhaps growing up to imitate the behaviours that were done to them. And so we're getting quite excited about that, that one week can really make a difference. So when you talk about kids who have uh, gone through abuse or or neglect, can you uh, give us a little bit more of an understanding of what sort of kids are you talking about? What sort of issues do these kids come to your camps with? Um, That they break your heart. Some of these issues, some of our children come to camp and they have been the acting parent in their family. Our foster care system is extremely strained. And so uh, if, a, if a child can be left with a parent with external help coming into the home, then often that will be the case. And so I think of a little girl, age 10, her name is Jessica, and she came into our camp in high anxiety, very happy to be there during the day. But as evening came, the anxiety height just, just increased. And we sat down with her and found out what was the problem. And she was desperate to ring mum because she didn't know whether mum would be able to feed herself and her little brother and sister because her mother had uh, some mental issues, she had depression issues, and she just had stopped functioning as a parent. And it had been 10-year-old Jessica's job to pretty much get the food on the table every night when she got home from school. And she had this incredible, I am the adult. 
and we were able to get some help. Make, we contacted the social workers and made sure that Mum was functioning. And, uh, you know, we let Jessica touch base with her on a regular basis, but Jessica made it through camp. So that that's one thing where children come and they're no longer children. They've been forced into adult roles. And so to have a week at, at the camp that we run is just incredible because of the amount of attention and listening to that they get. Then at the other scale, you've got children like... Um, Joey that came to us, he had been expelled at the age of nine, expelled from three primary schools for extreme violence. He was on a cocktail of medication so that his eyes didn't focus, uh, he didn't sleep at night. Um, and we put him with our most, that we were told that he was extremely active, which was true. We put him with our fittest buddy, young guy, by the name of Josh. And by the fourth and third night of camp, Joey slept four hours the next night he slept five this was phenomenal this was a little boy that existed on one hour of sleep uh, we talked to his doctor we talked to his carers we managed to get his meds looked at um, he went back to his next primary school completed that school went on to secondary school and is now has now visited camps as a buddy helping other kids like himself so that's one another end of the spectrum and then in the middle you've got some very sad children children who are have been um, molested, who have been sexually abused, um, and they are working through that. Most of these children, uh, well, many of these children, let's say, have a, a very warped view of themselves. They see themselves as damaged goods, and sometimes people treat them like that. Um, some of them have very promiscuous behaviours because they think that is the only way for affection because that's the only sort of affection they've known. And others have very... Um, keep away from me, I don't want anyone near me, so they've got that very protective behaviours. And over camp, probably one of the things we do is to pair them with someone that is going to give them their space and yet be there for them. And over that week at camp, they learn that there are people that they can trust. And that is a huge thing in these children. And to think, well, if I can trust this person, then I can trust someone else and and so this this thing that it is possible to trust again is it's, it's like a seed that you plant and it grows and some of this coming about in just one week uh, one week away from their normal situation in, in a camp atmosphere and, and having huge impacts it, it is having huge impacts we get um feedback from social workers who see these children every week um, one, I can remember one lady, the children that come to camp, they get an, a number of things to take home and one of those things is a CD. So every child gets a, ca a, a camp CD of all the songs they sing and these CDs have had quite um, amazing effects. We have uh, The music we choose usually goes with the theme. So next year's camp, the theme is going to be Strong Foundations and the kids are going to do construction dramas and dress up like construction workers and all this sort of thing. So we had a, a lady who's a songwriter from New South Wales and so she put a song together called I'm Going to Build My Life on a Strong Foundation. I want my life to really stand. And, and so they're getting this very positive um, input from a variety of things. And this social worker told me, she said, will there be a new CD next year? And I said, yes, there will. Why? And she said, oh, thank goodness. She said, every time I pick up Emily for her appointment, she gets in the car and she produces that same CD and puts it in <laughs> and insists we play it all the way to the appointment, going and coming. She said, I know every song and I can't wait for a new CD. <laughs> so uh, we had another parent that had two little boys, twins, that came to camp and 
uh, were pretty aggressive and uh, they went home quite quite changed. But uh, after a couple of weeks, they got back into their old habits and she remembered the CD and the two of the boys were in the lounge room fighting and she grabbed the CD and put it on the, the player and they stopped fighting, forgot they were great enemies and all of a sudden went into the routine with the singing and the actions that go with the song. So um, there, is, there is an attitude change, whether it, whether it stays all year is dependent on the child. So some we see huge turnarounds, others we see little changes and some we don't see anything. But once a child has been to camp, we give them the opportunity to come back again. And we find that as they get to camp, we take children between the ages of 7 and 11 with a bit of, bit of discrepancy either, either way. Uh, we have had them as young as 6. And um, so by the time they've been to 4 or 5 camps, we're seeing behaviour that is now rooted and growing, which is great. You know, it's interesting when you, you talk about some of those stories and, and hear that. I always wondered when I've watched shows like uh, World's Strictest Parents, how can one week or 10 days away from their family situation have such a huge impact? Yeah. And just hearing your story now shows, well, hey, maybe it does. It, it's not just for the TV. It, it does have, you know, within seven to 10 days, a massive impact on people's lives. Yeah, well, I, I really have looked at some research, secular research coming out of... Um Houston Trauma Centre, and it would it would indicate that the younger you can um, make an intervention in in showing a different role model um, to these children, the younger you can affect the way they think about themselves, and they start to think for the future. Um, one thing is we have at our camps we have a camp grandma and grandpa, and so they're usually a senior couple that act in that role, and they have an amazing opportunity at camp to get around and chat with every child. Uh, some of our children who've been placed in foster care, of course, they've sadly lost extended family too. So grandma and grandpa are a great hit and one of their roles is to go around the cabins at night and they'll give the kids a stickers or, you know, something, they'll chat about their day and then at the end they'll say, would you like us to pray? And if the kids say yes, they will pray a lovely prayer, which we find night time is, is our challenging time for our children because often that's where bad things happened. Um, at night and so we find this settling of the cabin with music, a story, grandma and grandpa visiting and then leaving with a prayer that God would give them a good night's sleep and that they could look forward to a great day tomorrow. That has a lot of effect on our children. Carolyn, can you explain to me where did this whole idea of Southern Cross Kids Camps begin? For me it began in 1995 when I was invited to go with a, with a colleague. I've got a background in ministering with children, children's ministry, um, children's church, Sunday school and training children's workers. So that's my background, teaching background. And um, I went to a camp in Idaho called Royal Family Kids Camp. And I saw a model of a camp that was for children totally in foster care. At that stage, every child at that camp was in foster care. And I heard some nightmare stories. And, and I went in very... Um, Skeptical, I think was the word, that five days could A, could make a difference and B, it, was, it just seemed too cruel to then send them back to some of these situations. And we, we had children at camp who'd been abused in foster homes, so they'd, they'd been taken for their own protection from, from a, a biological family, placed in a foster home, and the whole thing had happened again. So now they, they were down the track in their third or fourth home, and... and to me, I just kept thinking, what's, what's happening? Why are they sending them back? And it was, a, it was an emotional roller coaster that week for me. I was in tears one minute and grinning from ear to ear the next as I 
saw children have breakthrough. But at that particular camp, I saw one little nine-year-old girl totally... Delivered is the only term I can use. Totally delivered from fear. She became a different child before my eyes. And I won't go into her background, but it was extremely sordid. It involved the occult. And it just took a simple prayer at night for that little girl to just totally change. And when that happened, I just knew that regardless of all the other questions I had, we had to have this camp in Australia. And so I came home and I talked to everyone that would listen um, I was heading up a, the Ministry to Children seminar at that time, which still runs in Victoria, and I spoke from the platform to a stack of children's workers and said, you know, would you be interested? And got a very lukewarm response. And eventually I coerced some of my friends to come over to Idaho. <laughs> I literally sold it as a tour. I said, look, airfares at that time were cheap in June. Come for two weeks, do the camp the first week up in the mountains on a lake, it's beautiful, and then go to Disneyland and fly home. So I sold it like a tour. <laughs> and over three years, I had about 15 people that did the tour and came. And after that first week of camp, they could have cared less about Disneyland. And the result was I had 12 people out of that 15 that stood with me and said, let's get this happening in Australia. Are you sure you don't have a background in marketing as well? No, I don't. I wish I did. We need that desperately. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about how the Christian faith impacts what you do. How, how does your own personal faith and the wider Christian church become part of Southern Cross Kids Camps? Look, I just have an intrinsic belief that we were created for eternity. We were created for here on earth now. and We also create. We just... Um, accidents. I love Psalm 139, where David talks about the knowledge of God and how God knew about us. We use this psalm with our workers. We use this psalm a lot with our kids and say, look, you're not an accident. A lot of these children feel like that. You're not rubbish. A lot of these children are told that. You have a destiny. God says, I saw you. I created you. I knew you before your mother even knew she was pregnant. And I knew you before you were even born. All the days of your life, I know them. And once you start to tell children that, they just start to respond and think, wow, you can almost see them straighten up and start to look you in the eye. And and that conviction that, that we are created beings, that we have hope. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, um, God says that I've got good plans for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we would use that verse. We'd have it on our walls in our cabins every year. God wants to give me a hope and a future. And a lot of these kids can't see beyond their past and their present. The future is something too good to dream for. It's something to dread. And so I really do believe, I personally believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer. That's my personal belief. Having said that, at camps, although we have a very Christian ethic that happens, although we would tell the story of the Good Samaritan and bring out the good things, at no point do we say to children, all right, who would like to become a Christian? Because that oversteps our responsibility when we're working with children in the state. Um, so, but I, my personal conviction is um, I want to show the love of God to these kids, that, that something might awaken in them, that, that they in their own way could say, is there a God? Mm. Are, these, are these people just unique people? Is there a God? Could he possibly do the things they've told me he does? Could he be interested in me? And I believe that once anybody asks that question, God's just hanging there and he's ready to, to answer in many, many ways. And so um, we, we have to be content with planting good seeds. 
We're not going to water and see something grow and get a crop and say, woohoo, I brought three kids into the kingdom of God. That's not what it's about. If we went that way, we would not get access to the, the neediest of the children that we need. Not that we need, that they need us. They need the message. Um, so it's a message of love. It's, it's a, what we mirror is what God as a heavenly father has mirrored to us. And, and these kids may or may not have a, a good father role model. And so we mirror that. We mirror respect for one another. We mirror um, tolerance. We mirror acceptance. We mirror unconditional love. And some of our kids will push that. They'll say, oh, you say you care for me, but what if I do this? Or what if I do this? And so um, there's a fine line between accepting behaviours and accepting children. And we never not accept children. There may be times we have to modify behaviours and there may be consequences to behaviours, but... We never let that child feel that they are being rejected or they are being um, put down. Uh, so we, we model what God models to us, you know, that his arms are ever open, he's always accepting. Uh, we model the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Um, some of the stories that we teach uh, next year, I think, no, not next year, the year after, we look at, like, Joseph, um, and so these, most of these kids have never heard the story of Joseph, but Joseph's such a great thing for them to relate to. He had some family problems. He was rejected. He did nothing wrong, but he suddenly found himself, you know, bad things happened to him. But then, as he kept trusting God, God lifted him out of it. Something else, he kept trusting. God lifted him out of it. And eventually, he not only becomes, um, he enters into his destiny of greatness, but he is, uh, he is the one that literally saves his entire family from famine. It's a great story. And you can see kids, they, you don't have to say, now this is like you, you don't have to do all that. They make the leap. Oh, we've had kids go back and say to social workers, I just realised I was like Joseph. You know, bad stuff's happened to me, but if I just keep my attitude right and if I just keep trusting, I'm going to be able to be different, you know, and... So, yeah, have I probably talked far too long on all of that, but everything we do is pretty much taken from how, um, from the, the Christian ethic of how we then live. Love God, love others as you love yourself, and it's the love others we're really concentrating on. We're chatting to Carolyn Boyd on 2020. She is the, uh, the founding director of Southern Cross Kids Camps and uh, has a passion for reaching people, uh, kids who are probably uh, the most hurt and the most neediest in our communities. Carolyn, can you explain how the church itself becomes involved with an independent camping organisation like SCKC? Every camp is actually hosted. We ask churches to come alongside and host host a camp. That doesn't mean they sponsor the camp financially, although they may assist, um, but we, we do because our biggest concern is recruiting. If And, and with the climate of what's happening in the church today and royal commissions and everything else we cannot be too careful however um, I believe that if, if I went on national television and said if you want to be a buddy we want to start 100 camps tomorrow I would have people coming out of the woodwork and many of those people would be good people but some of them would be there for devious reasons because these are very vulnerable children and so that is a nightmare so I wanted, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that said, know those that work among you, know the people that you work with. And so a church is one way where we can go in, ask a church, can we profile the camp, explain what it's about? Then can we ask for expressions of interest? Can we have an information evening where we meet with the people? 
And then we, you know, if the church is, is saying yes, so we'll, we'll provide this. So the church provides us with a facility, a building where we can train workers, where we can conduct interviews. You don't just sign a, you know, a paper and come on board. No, we interview, we screen, we check references and we pray over who we have at camp because we are guarding the most precious treasure we have and that's a child. And so the church is very instrumental in that. They also provide the place where registration can take place, uh, where the kids go off to camp and then they return to that facility uh, where um, carers and, and foster parents can come in. At the end of camp, we put on a little mini concert just so that the... Um, you know, we've had, I've had a mother whose little boy had been abused two years ago and he stood up at that concert and sang, did all the actions, and his face just shone. And she sat and cried, and she said, I haven't seen him smile for two years and look at him. Mm. And, and so it's, it's very, it's great. You know, some of the parents come up, some of the carers come up, and you, they look at their watch, and you know that they'd rather be going. But the majority are overcome that these children are standing up there singing songs, and they watch the video of all the fun stuff they did at camp, and... They start to see their kids through different eyes, and so that's it. That's part of what the church offers. The church offers um, a place then for the the workers to have a, a meal, a debrief meal, as we, you know, absorb all the stuff that's happened that week. And uh, some and camps will do a um, a reunion sometime during the year where we invite carers and um, foster carers and family family members to come with their kids and come back and just have a fun morning jumping castles and a barbecue and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it just creates a contact and it says, it actually says, this, the people here actually care about you. So it fits very well under a missions arm because it can be another cultural experience. It also fits under the community outreach arm. When I say outreach, it's not outreach with a look at winning people in. It's an outreach to do what Jesus did go into the community and the first thing he ever did was pray and meet needs before he ever gave a word or asked anyone to join him. And that's what the church needs to do and, and you know, the churches we have on board have really embraced that. Wow. It's fascinating to hear the stories and, and to hear the impact that uh, the Christian faith is making. And as you said, it's not about conversion. It's not about proselytizing. It's about showing that the Christian faith is a faith that cares, is, right. is very much governed by that yeah. um, compassionate angle. Yeah. And it's very much believing that these children have had, and, and not all of the children that come to us, are abused children. We'd hate to think that everyone thought that, but they've been through. They've all been through some hardships. Sometimes parents, through um, just through standards of poverty, have not been able to to cope with looking after their children properly. Um, sometimes it's because they haven't had good role models as parents themselves, and so they lack parenting skills. And uh, so, you know, down the track, we'd like to see more interaction, helping parents and carers too with these kids. Because it's a, it's a whole, it's a big scene. It's not just the individual child. Well, obviously, there's a, there's a lot more to this than uh, what you've managed to tell us in this short time. But how do you cover the cost? How do you work out a way that you can impact these young people, but do it in a way that's not going to cause them extra financial strain? Yeah, we. That, this is why we registered as a charity. We registered as a, as a national charity in two thousand one, or actually two thousand when we first registered the name and we got that through so we have tax deductibility um, we have we 
do not charge campers, we do not charge our buddies. They're, they're all volunteers. Everybody at camp is a volunteer. I'm a volunteer. Um, the national office has uh, one, two, three, four part-time people, and if you add up all their hours, it comes to uh, five and a half days a week. So we've been very, very lean on our admin costs. Uh, so each camp is therefore responsible for um, funding. So each person that is trained by us to direct a camp would then build a team of people around them that would set up some fundraising activities. Having said that, the National Office employs someone one day a week and their sole role is to pursue grants and talk to um, you know, trustees and things like that. So apply for everything on behalf of the camps. And so I'm not sure what the percentage would be, but I would think at least a half of the camp costs would come in through grants and the rest would be, would be fundraised or donations. Um, so the, the actual cost, we say it costs $1,000 per child to run a camp and that would still depend on which camp area you're, you know, there are some camps that are extremely expensive. Others, if you look around, you can find some that still meet the criteria and they're a lot less expensive. So the actual camping facility that you go to um, can vary, and so that would affect how much that is. But within that $1,000, you would be looking at you're paying for the accommodation, the feeding of both the camper and the buddy. You're paying the cost of your staff, and each staff that goes is your directors, activity leaders, there's a qualified children's counsellor at every camp. There is a qualified nurse at every camp because a lot of our kids are on extreme medications. Um, there are also the camp grandma and grandpa. Uh, there are, anyway, there are other people that do the program, you know, music people, stuff like that. So you might have 12 extra people um, to house and feed and then you've got your transport. And then you have the things that the children get at camp and this is where we rely on people for if they can't donate financially then maybe they could do something very practical so every the night the first night of every camp the children come outside or, or into a room and there's a huge table of stuffed toys and it's very interesting because when we first did this I thought oh 11 and 12 year old boys are not going to be too excited about choosing a teddy bear or a, you know a stuffed giraffe however I was extremely wrong and a lot of these children, it was amazing. After that night, they get their, choose their toy and there's always more than you need so that everyone has a choice. And they, you see these boys for the next couple of days walking around with a stuffed lion tucked under their arm. Or, mm. you know, it's just quite amazing um, because some of these kids have been deprived in that way too. And I've just finished reading, oh, there's a Dr. Michael Davies that's just put out a book um, last week I picked up out of Kurong and Jeff Kennett had uh, endorsed it. Um, and it's called Journey of Hope. And so he's recounting his, his experiences in the 60s and 70s, I believe, um, with going in and out of um, homes, institutions in those days. And the thing that was one of his constants was a, a bear named David, and that became his confidant, the one that he talked to. And so the kids get a soft toy. So people might like to say, well, hey, that's something I can do. I can buy a soft toy. Um, we have everybody's birthday. I can remember the first camp and I had a 10-year-old that looked at me and said, so that's what a birthday party was like. I didn't know. I've never had one. We had another little boy who, who um, that first year, we, we had great things in the birthday boxes, but we were counting costs. And so we had just wrapped the boxes in white butcher's paper with their name written on it. And I will still remember James trying to peel off 
this white paper without tearing it. And I said to him, James, it's okay, you can rip it. And he looked at me and he said, you don't understand. I've never had a present with my name on it before. Wow. He kept his white paper. So um, birthday, you know, we have lists. If you go to the website, um, sckc.org.au, um, you can find out things that people might like to send in. You can fill a birthday box or you can send some things. There's things all listed there. Um, we've got some people in some camps, and it's not all camps. Some of our camps run over winter, and so some people are knitting beanies and, and fingerless mittens for, for kids, and actually the camp I was at in September was really cute. They'd knitted matching beanies, so the, the adult buddy and the kid both had matching beanies and gloves that looked really cute. Um, we've got people that are making quilts for a couple of our camps, and we would love to see that. These children that they are presented with a, you know, a small size quilt with their name embroidered in the corner, they are just ecstatic. And it's so strange to see older boys getting excited over a quilt, but they do. Um, so there's some very practical ways that people can help too. Well, Carolyn, it's been fascinating hearing more about how you do what you do and about the stories of the people who've been impacted through Southern Cross Kids Camp. Uh, now, obviously, uh, I see you've got camps happening uh, right across uh, different parts of Australia next year. If people want to be involved, if church groups want to find a way that they can journey with you through these camps, how can they get in touch? If they can email info, I-N-F-O, at sckc.org.au. Our wonderful lady in the office, Donna, will follow that through for you. Well, Carolyn, it's been great having a chat to you and thank you so much for sharing your passion and may God continue to give you that passion in overflowing abundance. Thank you so much, Matt. I really do appreciate this opportunity and blessings to you too and all at Vision. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.